as Wednesday just said, that's hard to follow. <laughs> okay, the scripture reading this morning is um, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. The parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who has received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter in the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in the joy into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and my coming, and I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. It is good to be in Kenneth Square uh, this morning. It's a privilege. I count it an honor. We do honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who's the chief shepherd and bishop of our soul. We certainly want to uh, honor uh, uh, Pastor uh, Ken Buck and uh, Lady uh, Kathy Buck. Uh, and his family, and uh, just you, you, and you. Um, <clears throat> I certainly do want to honor my wife. As you know, I always say I married her for a wife time. And um, I just thank God for her being here today. And um, if you pray with me, we'll hit it and quit it and get on with it. Um, Father, 
I pray that you would help us help them and us be, go from being a milk Christian to a mashed potato Christian to a meat Christian in every area of our lives. You are already pleased with our who because we are your children and you are our father. But I pray, Lord, that from this message that you'll be more pleased with our do, with what we do for you in the kingdom. Because when you're pleased with our who and do and we're being and doing what you called us to be and do, it is a win-win situation. The kingdom win. Others win and we win. Thank you for the victory in Christ Jesus. Thank you for this word today during this Advent time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I want to talk to you, of course, you already know, in a still small, sturdy, stern voice. And of course, that voice is the voice of God through the vessel, right? That we are supposed to allow God to use us and speak to us, uh, speak through us, to speak to the people, to get through to the people. So I want to talk to you from this subject. How then shall or should you and I work? And I do want you to understand that it does have a double question mark behind it uh, for an emphatical, a double question mark. Uh, in English, two question marks at the end of a sentence are there to emphasize the question asked, how then shall we work? You work, we work, as Christians work for God. How do you and I as Christians work for God in church, outside the four walls of the church, in the culture and society at large? Just how serious is God about us working for him? So then how serious should or must you and I be about working for God? If you ever heard the expression, have saved Christian, raise your hand. Have saved Christian. Either way, I'm in the right church this morning. <laughs> now, the majority of you did not um, raise your hand, and I saw some that did. All right. So if you never heard the expression have saved Christian, it is an expression used by non-Christians towards people who are supposed to be Christians, saints, saved folks, but are not living or not perceived to be living what they are professing. Some non-Christians call Christians half-saved because of immorality. Some non-Christians call Christians half-saved because Christians claim to be saved and they are acting unethically. Uh, won't pay their taxes. Cheating on their taxes. Won't pay their tithes and offerings, cheating God. And some non-Christians call themselves half-saved Christians simply because of their hypocrisy. However, this morning, I want to use the expression half-saved Christian differently. Simply put, if you call yourself a Bible-believing Christian, but do not do the work that Christ calls 
commissions, that is to say prepare you and command Bible-believing Christians to do, you are a half-saved Christian. Now, there are at least two things many of you are already thinking. Dr. James, there is no such thing as a half-saved Christian. You are either saved or not. Number two, I perceive that many of you may be thinking biblically, Christians are not saved by works because works do not save you. True, in and of themselves, works do not save you. For Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and through faith, faith stands for full assurance in the heart. We have full assurance in the heart that the faithful one, Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith, what he has started, he will, be, uh, he will finish because we're confident of this very thing, that he that had begun a good work in you and I will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. So for by grace, God given us what we do not deserve, are you saved through full assurance in the heart, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, the doma, the gift, not of works, lest any man should, would, or could boast. So you are correct. Works in and of themselves do not save you or me or anyone, but true biblical faith results in good works. Apostle James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it this way in James chapter 2, verse 17 through 20. Faith by itself, if it does not have work, is dead. The New Living Translation says, you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. But some will say you have faith. And I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Many of us take pride in believing that there is one God, and we ought to. We have our orthodoxy, right belief. Our orthopathy, right passion, attitude. Orthopraxy, right practice together. And we have it all together, especially intellectually. We know our reasonable faith. But he said, even the demons believe and tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds, without work, is dead and therefore useless? See, all theology is practice, right? Theos, logia, the compound word, theo, logia, theo, God. Lagia, word, the study of God, the study of God's word, the people of God, the things of God. We have that down pat. But what are you doing practically with your theology? Are you, are you being used by God to gain the sinner, groom the saint, and grow the kingdom for God's glory? That's the question. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds, without work, is dead and therefore useless? So you are not saved by works, but you're not saved without works either. Now, just in case some of you are still not convinced that you are not saved by works, but you're not saved without works either, yours truly and my doctrine. 
doctrinal uh, dissertation entitled Young People Arise, God is Calling You to Salvation and Vocation in His Kingdom, a training tool for young people. I coined, we coined the Spirit of God, and I, the terms twofold or twin callings to Christianity. In other words, anytime God calls a non-Christian to become a Christian, it's a twin calling. And the twin calling to Christianity is both to salvation and vocation. You cannot say, uh, you cannot be saved and not work for God. Neither can you work for God and not be saved. You're not saved by works, but you're not saved without works because works are the fruit of your salvation. Put it this way, church, Christians, you must understand that your faith in Jesus will justify you. But your works for Jesus will justify your faith. Say amen. Amen, amen. So when it comes to salvation and vocation, Jesus did not need to be saved. He did not need salvation because he was and is the Savior. But as the Savior, he also had a vocation. Yes, Jesus worked. As a matter of fact, Jesus uh, was God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, and in his earthly life, he had two jobs. He was a carpenter, naturally. No wonder the songwriter picked up the pen and said, let Jesus fix it for you, for he knows just what to do. You need Jesus to work on some things? Uh, we're not just talking about hammers and nails and plywood. He'll fix your relationships. He'll fix your marriage. He'll fix your parenting relationship. He'll fix your finances. Let Jesus fix it for you, for he knows what to do. Can we give Jesus a hand clap? He can, he can fix the United States. He can fix Israel. He can fix the seven continents. Uh, is there anything too hard for God? Not only that, he was and is the Savior spiritually. And Jesus, the Savior, the Son of the living God, said, I must. Not should, not ought to, nor did he say he had an option to. But Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. For night cometh when no man shall work. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and finished his work. Job even said it. He said, I esteem the word of God more than my necessary food. We have to examine our priorities. What is your meat? Just to work two and three jobs to meet the budget to pay the bills? Is that all it is to Christianity? Or is your meat to get the American dream in the name of God? We have gotten so Americanized, culturalized, till we have become otherwise than biblical Christians. We want to get the American dream in the name of Christianity. Jesus is God. 
God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, and if Jesus Christ, the Savior of the whole world, worked for God the Father his entire life and ministry, and then while being crucified on an old rugged cross for, our, for his salvific work, for our redemption declared, Telestai, it is finished. There is no way on God's green earth that Christians who are followers of Christ can be saved and not work for God. Why? Because just like Christ in his earthly life was a person and had to work, Christians who are Christ's people have to work. In other words, just like Christ was a person and had to work, Christians are persons and have a work. And if you are a true Bible-believing Christian, your person and work is not only rooted, but seeded. Seeded, rooted, and grounded in union and communion with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Statistics say that there are approximately 2.5 billion professed Christians in the world. And each and every Christian is judged by God the Father according to Christ's person and work. And in other words, as God the Father sits on the throne and his son, uh, our Redeemer, sits at the right hand of the Father as he has applied the blood to the mercy seat and he ever liveth to make of intercession for you and I. He is our high priest and God the Father looks at the right hand of himself to see the person Jesus Christ and he looks at Pastor Ken Buck and Dr. Willie James and you and I and look at our person he wants to see the person of Christ reflected in you and I. After all, the number one goal for God is for you and I to become more like his son. This is why the Bible says that we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God and to them that are the called according to his purpose. How in the world is everything working together for our good? Our house burning down, losing a child, losing a job, financial struggles, be it adversity or even prosperity. I tell you how Paul said it this way in Romans 8:29. for whom he did foreknow he did predestinate there was never a time that God did not know you and I from the very foundations of the world and the mind of God for whom he did foreknow he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son who's the firstborn of many brethren God's number one goal is for you and I to be like his son John the revelator picked up the pen and said beloved now are we the sons of God? And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we, he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How is he? He is in his glorified body. In the Greek, it means we'll be twins like G twins with Jesus. Not necessary. Well, I guess it is paternal twins. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, in the Hebrew, it's Zerah. In the Greek, it's sperma. We have the DNA of our father. And so we are like our big brother, Jesus. We will be non-passe picare. We will not be able to sin. We will be in our glorified bodies. <coughs> 
entirely sanctified. Go into the land of no more, no more death, no more sin, no more murder, no more suicide, no more. We're going to the land of no more. One glad morning, when this life is over, you and I will fly away to be with Jesus for eternity. Come on, let's clap our hands for Jesus. So God looks at the person of Gary and Gail, and the person Gary and Gail should be coming, becoming more like his son each and every day. But not only look that, the person, but also the work of Pastor Ken Buck, the work of Dr. Willie L. James Jr., the, the work of Gary and Gail should reflect the work of Jesus. This is why we must work the works of him that sent us. While it is day, for night cometh in when no man can work. It is almost 11.59 and the clock is about to strike midnight and midnight is the darkest hour of the day. My God, the sun is going down on the devil and his angels and his works and the sun of righteousness is about to come back and will he ever shine? Mm -mm -mm. That'll preach right there. I got the move. Woo! I felt something. I better shift. So, so we are judged right now by the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the Father is looking at you and I and our person and work. And it must be rooted and grounded in union and communion with the person and work of Jesus Christ. So don't just wait for the judgment seat of Christ to expect to be judged. God is judging you and I right now. Thank you. Yes, Lord have mercy. Help us, God. Help us, God. Because I'm just a vessel. The Bible says that the apostles turned the world upside down. God is calling for you and I, as 21st century Christians, to help turn the world right side up. So Christians, you are not saved by works, but you're not saved without works either. Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2 and 10 concerning the work of the Christian, for we are his workmanship. You know how you know you are a mature Christian? When you can go through sickness, financial trouble, relationship issues, and simultaneously bless others and minister to others and go down to the nursing home and pray with somebody. And go to the grocery store and pick up some groceries and give it to your neighbor that just, just lost everything. And that's how you know one of the ways that you are a mature Christian. So Apostle Paul said we are his workmanship. God is working on you and I. And this is why the Lord told me to, to be intentional about helping people go from being a milk to a mashed potato to a, a, a meat Christian. See, one person can be all three. You can be a milk Christian in your finances, a mashed potato Christian in your parenting, and a meat Christian in your, in your uh, marital relationship. We all have room to grow, but he's working on you and I. And so we can't call out of work. We got to keep it moving. 
regardless of what happened. Created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works, good, godly, gracious works, which God prepared beforehand long ago that we should walk in them. That is, walk in our God-given, God-ordained, God-works. For Ephesians 4 and 1, Apostle Paul is calling every Christian in the first century and every Christian into the 21st century to what? <clears throat> Excuse me. Walk worthy of your salvation and vocational calling, for you have been called by God Almighty. Since every Christian leader, pastor, session member, every Christian teacher and ruling elder, every Christian deacon and trustee, every Christian musician and praise and worship leader, singer, every Christian from the pulpit to the pew, every Christian leader and lay member are called by God to work and since the work that God has called us to in his kingdom is judgment work and we're going to be judged by Jesus when he comes, how then shall we work? In the 25th chapter of Matthew, Jesus taught several parables to clarify what it means to be ready for his return and how to live until he comes to judge the righteous and the wicked. In the pericope of the parable of the talents, Jesus shows and tells us the necessity and urgency of using well, working well with what God has given us and entrusted us with until he comes or returns to pay us our just reward for either our salvific wicked works or our salvific righteous works. I'm almost there. Jesus said there, the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. And you know Jesus is talking about himself, right? He had to be 100% God to forgive sins. 100% man to die for sins, right? And so we know Jesus is the God man, the man Christ Jesus, the only mediator between God and man speaking in a parable uh, about himself. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. I have died and I have risen and now I'm going back to the father in a far country uh, called heaven who called his own servants and delivered them unto them goods. And unto one he gave five talents to another, uh, two talents to another one, to every man according to his several abilities. Anybody that says, I do not have no ability, no talent, ha have been, you have been, tricked by the enemy or you're deceived because God has blessed everybody with at least one talent and straightway took his journey. Then he that received five talents, it's a military term, immediately gained five more, which equals 10. And he that received two talents, likewise, immediately obeyed the command of the commander, Christ Jesus, and doubled it, which equals four. But he that received one, immediately went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. You have to understand, everything we have is God's by ownership and his by stewardship. 
And we have a responsibility to be stewards, to be uh, caretakers, caregivers, managers of another's business. And the biggest business in the world is God's business, which is the business of the kingdom. And from Genesis to Revelations, that's all we are. Not all, but at least we're stewards. And God is calling us to be stewards, not only over our, his money, but his gifts and talents and anointings and offices that he has placed us in, in the body of Christ. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and reckoned. He settled the accounts with them. All right. The five talent servant told and showed the Lord his work. And the Lord said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I make you ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And likewise, two talent servant told and showed the Lord his work. And the Lord said, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Somebody said the J in joy stands for Jesus. And the O in joy stands for nothing, zero, zilch. And the Y in joy stands for you. This is how you keep your joy. You don't let nothing get between Jesus and you. Then he which received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathered where you have not strawed. And I was fabeo. I was afraid. Too much as analysis is paralysis. And God sent me here today to tell some of you, you fear man too much. And you're too human and man conscious. And the Bible says, cursed is the man that fear or put their trust in man. And God is saying, do not fear those that can just kill the body. David said, the time that I am afraid, I will put my trust in God. And God is holding you accountable if he called you to be a deacon, a trustee, a usher, a missionary. And you're shrinking back. And the Lord said, I have no pleasure in them that draw back. So God is challenging you today to not be like this wicked servant. So you have to understand, Jesus is not mean, but he means what he says. He said, occupy till I come. Take care of the business of the kingdom until I come. He said, I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, here's, this is what, this is yours. The New Living Translation said, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here, here's your money back. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, but his Lord answered and said unto him, you wicked. That is to say, bad-natured. I know this is the hard saying. See, I'm glad Jesus is doing this. Because you already know he loves you, right? But, but he has loving, godly confrontation with redemption in mind, reconciliation in mind, restoration in mind, and reigning in your life in mind. R-E-I-G-N. Why? Because he wants the R-A-I-N in your life. He wants to rain down blessings. He wants to be a blessing to you and you to be a blessing to others. 
But we can't do it if we have a bad nature. He said, you wicked, you bad natured and lazy, bad work ethic person. You servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered. Listen, you ought to have went down to PNC Bank and just put it in the bank so it can at least draw interest. So at my coming, when I reckon the account, I would have received back my own with interest. But the servant one wasn't interested. And some of us are more interested than watching football all day on Sunday and Monday and Thursday than we are than watching out for our kids' souls. We're complaining to God and the pastor that my kid is out of control. Have you ever decided to turn the television off? And get off of the phone that you've been on as an adult for 5, 10, 15 hours instead of putting your plate, turning your plate down, fasting and praying, turning gun smoke off, and praying for that child so that child can get delivered. It's time to be, do spiritual warfare. We have allowed Christianity to be reduced down to one three-letter word for the, for the youth. F-U-N, fun. Folks, we're, we can have fun along the way, but we're in a fight for our children. And the enemy is laughing at us because guess what? The LGBTQIA community do not have any problem with little children books that have two mommies, two daddies, don't have any problem infiltrating uh, the, uh, uh, the Girl Scouts, the Boy Scouts, Sesame Street, don't have any problem having their little kids uh, in the parade of parade while we shrink back hold back what our kids need to get in their head, heart, and hands so they can get delivered from the world devil in the flesh. You know what? God has just, clap your hands for Jesus. God, God has just given me a divine revelation. Do you not know the cell phone has an off button? Turn it off. Stop turning God off and turn him on and you'll see some results. The Bible says the anointing destroys the yoke. The anointing is the supernatural power of God that gives us the ability to do that which we would not ordinarily be able to do. Do you think... With all the demons and devils and, and, and how people are bound on drug and alcohol and, and, and bound mentally by different demons and spirits, uh, that you can just ordinarily do something with that? No, even Michael the archangel, as he was battling with the body of, uh, of Moses with the enemy, did not even bring a railing accusation but said, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. You have to have some power, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit power to be used of God to get folk delivered today. This is why I can't understand how people are sensationalist 
Isn't it ironic? The whole world is trying to be spiritual and supernatural. Even Hollywood with their spiritual movies. Lucifer, he's so bad, he's good. They got Armageddon. They got all kinds of supernatural spiritual movies in which Hollywood get their way of writing scripts from the Bible because the Bible is written in stroves, actor, actress, scene, and script. Even the devils believe and tremble and know that you need supernatural power. Put it this way, the seven sons of Sceva found out because they were trying to cast out devils without no power. And the devil spoke to them and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? We can't just depend on intellectual Christianity. You can, when you quote that scripture, you got to have some Holy Ghost power with you so people can get delivered from drugs, delivered from alcohol, delivered from homosexuality and lesbianism, delivered from atheism and agnosticism, delivered from Hinduism and Islam. We need power. Jesus said, mm. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost come upon you. This ain't ordinary. This extraordinary. And you need some supernatural power. The devil had them running down the street naked. We need power. Do you not know that's a form of blasphemy? Well, I don't believe it. And you won't receive it. The power of God destroy yokes and bondage. It's a bondage breaker. None of us are more smarter than Apostle Paul. But when Paul spoke, demons trembled. It got double quiet in here. Take your time and hurry up, Dr. James. To those who, who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. That's a form of blasphemy. I'm sorry. Blasphemy is to contribute the work of the devil to the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit to the work of the devil. You know some people have the audacity to say that any supernatural that happens is of the devil. Oh, my God. then God would have to be dead. That's another message. That's another message. I know it. I, that's another message. But I thank God for the EPC who is open to the continuation of the gifts and the supernatural power of God. Because you just can't do this in your ordinary. Mm-mm. No. Oh, that's another message. Come on, take, hurry up. Okay, to those who use well, Jesus said, what they're given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, cast, I'm telling you, Jesus is not mean, but he means what he say. Listen, now cast, throw this unprofitable, useless, worthless servant into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is why I'm so glad that Jesus taught on hell more than any New Testament uh, person. 
Some of you are working faithfully, but many Christians, not any of you in here, but many Christians are like the quote-unquote half-saved servant with the one talent. By now you know there is no such thing as a half-saved Christian. We're almost there. You're not working for God at all. You're just a Sunday school-only churchgoer. And we have had enough of that. And Jesus said, you are wicked and lazy like the servant with the one talent. The servants with the two and five talents were good and faithful for three reasons. They were good and faithful because they were Christ-centered. They were good and faithful servants because they were diligent in their service to Christ the King and their communities. And they were good and faithful because Christ their King declared them good and faithful servants and therefore approved them. On the contrary, the so-called Christian servant was wicked, bad-natured, lazy, had a bad work ethic for three reasons. He was a wicked and lazy servant because he was not Christ-centered but self-centered. He was a wicked and lazy servant because he was not diligent, because he was the epitome of lazy. He was a wicked and lazy servant because Christ the king and righteous and fair judge judged him correctly and declared him what he was, which was wicked and lazy, and therefore rejected him. When Jesus rejects you, you are a reject. But I'm so glad that Paul said in Ephesians 1 and 6, you are accepted in the beloved. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, but this is just a reminder today. So anyway, I, nonetheless, I came all the way from Philadelphia by the way of Delaware uh, today, all the way from Philadelphia to tell you that if you are a Christian and you have been a good and faithful, Christ-centered, diligent servant of King Jesus to continue to work for the Lord until he sends the death angel or comes in his second coming. So whether he sends or comes, he will be able to say to you uh, like he did the servants of uh, the Two and five talent servants. Well done, you good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And likewise, I came all the way from Philadelphia, by the way of Delaware, if you will, with good news for those of you who have been living like a half-saved servant and professing to be a Christian. I came to answer the question, your question, how then shall you work? You shall work exactly like the servant with the two talents and the five talents. Dr. James, how then did they work? I'm glad you asked. Great class this morning. They were not just Christ-centered and diligent, but they committed their work to the Lord himself by committing four things to the Lord. And this is why Jesus declared them good and faithful. See, the first thing, and I'll hasten on, the first thing is they committed their time. You're going to have to give time to God. Look at the distractions. We're amusing ourselves to death. You're going to have to spend time with God. See, life is a one, two-sided coin. On one side of life is adversity. On the other side is prosperity. And uh, 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 the writer of Ecclesiastics, King Solomon, said, listen, you got to walk close to God so he can give you wisdom to deal with both. See, knowledge is information. Wisdom is knowledge uh, skillfully applied. There's wise, and then there's otherwise you'll be in trouble because God told us to take time seriously because we need to uh, redeem the time, right? Make the most of your time for the days are evil. You need to spend time with God like never be. Dr. James, how do I do it? Well, you know the Holy Spirit is telling you to pray 
It's sure not the spirit of the devil. It's sure not the world and the flesh telling you to pray when you're up there watching your favorite show. They got all kinds. They got YouTube. They all got all kinds of re ways for you to do reruns. Just look at it later. The spirit of God is prompting you. You know that. Because the world, the devil, and the flesh, and the enemy is not going to tell you to pray. Not going to tell you to pick up your word and, and, and read it. All right? Let me hasten on, but I want to say this about time. Listen, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 7.29. But this I say, brother, here it is. The time is short. And the devil knows he had but a short time. So he wants to distract you to be lazy. And omit, see, we have made the Great Commission the great omission. See, we talk about people that are, are, that are on drugs, alcohol, gangsters, terrorists, as if, as if they're so bad, which they may be, and they are, rather. But the enemy will use uh, time and steal time from us as Christians. Why? He came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that more abundantly. But Paul says, listen, but this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth both that they that have wives be as though they had none. In other words, don't get so caught up in your wife that she's, she becomes an idol to you. Because the married are to care for the Lord and the, and the wife. So your time is split. The single, if you're single in here, you should be on fire for the Lord because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7 that the single ought to care for the Lord and the things of the Lord. The time is short. Don't get caught up in your wife, all right? And they that weep as though they weep not. Stop crying over things that happened 20 years ago. Yes, it was painful. It hurt. You went through the trial. You went. Yes, he left you for another woman. 20, 30 years ago, but you got to get over it, on with it, and with it. And then, so you weep as though those that weep not. And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, not. All right? Okay, you won the high school championship 25 years ago. Stop wearing the jacket. It's too small. Get on with your life. And they that buy as though they possess not. In other words, again, everything we have is God's by ownership and ours by stewardship. Be a steward over here. I had a relative one time. He bought a brand new Lincoln. He said, if anybody hit my car, I'm going to kill him. I said, well, wait, wait a minute. Yo, hey, wait a minute. You, you're supposed to have insurance on the car. It's yours by stewardship. You don't really own it. You're supposed to be you. Mm. Anyway, they that use this world as not abusing it for the fashion of the world passive away. So you got to give God your time. It takes time in reference to my uh, message, the five stages of relationship with God. You've been introduced. You've interacted with God. Now you need more intimacy so you can have inseparability and be like, Paul, I'll let nothing separate me from the love of God so you can spend infinity with God. you got to give God your time, but not only that, your talents. 
God wants your music talents, your medical talents, your teaching talents, your political talents, your gifts and talents. The Bible says your gifts, secondary meaning, your gifts shall make room for you and bring you before great men. God, yes, you, you and you. God wants to set you before kings and queens and send you to places in the world that you never dreamed of. God will use the gifts and talents he has given you to save souls and disciple souls. He will use your gifts and talents and uh, anointings to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, house the unhoused, and he will bless you while you bless others. But then God wants you to commit your treasures, the two talent, the five talent servant committed their treasures to the Lord. See, you got to understand something. You ask the question, does God care about money? No, not in and of itself, because the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and they that, they that dwell therein. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. So what you going to give God? But God cares about money as it relates to his stewards. If he didn't, it wouldn't be 2,350 scriptures about money. Do you not know there's 500 scriptures about heaven and hell combined? But there's more scriptures about money and managing money than heaven and hell combined. Jesus spoke 37 parables. 16 of them is about money and managing money. So God cares about money in that he cares about you and how you are stored over money because he, can, he said you can't serve God in money too. For the love of money is what? The root of all evil. So God cares about how you deal with money. So he wants you to give your treasures to the kingdom. Commit your total. They committed the total them to them. Not only their time, not only their talent, not only their treasures, but God is calling for you and I to commit our time, talent, treasures, and total us. Commit your head. Commit your heart. Commit your hand. Commit your body, soul, and spirit. Paul said, uh, be blameless. I pray that your body, soul, and spirit be preserved blameless before the coming of the Lord. You got to commit it all to the Lord. You can't come to church faithfully on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays and give your, uh, your, your time and give your talents singing, preaching, deaconing, ushering, all right, giving your time and your talent and giving all your money and you still watching pornography. That's not your all. God wants all of you. He wants all of me. He wants all of us. He wants it all. So in so doing, as we close, you must commit all of your work to the Lord. Paul says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work it, work at all, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord rather than for people. And since you are working for the Lord and not for people, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obey God with deep reverence and fear, for it is God who worketh in you both to will and work according to his work, his pleasure, and his purpose. And finally, how then shall you work? We work, you work, I work, James says, by not deceiving ourselves, by not just being a hearer of the word. But a doer of the word, a doer of the word, and that man and that woman and that boy and that girl shall be blessed. And when you and I are done working, done living, John the Revelator said, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, 
Write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, saith the Spirit. They are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds, good works do follow them. So when your work is done, Kenneth Square, and you're done, the Lord will be able to say to you and you and me, like he did his two-talent servants and five-talent servant. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful of a few things. I'll make you rule over many. Enter that child into the joy of the Lord. And finally, like my favorite coach, Coach Tomlin, been a Pittsburgh Steelers fan for 52 years. He told the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC Championship, going to the Super Bowl, he said, you go out there on that football field and you leave everything out there. He said, you'll rest when you die. And they went out there and won the AFC Championship and won the Super Bowl. Church, the Lord is saying to you and I, you go out there on the field and you gain the center, groom the saint, grow the kingdom for his glory. For the harvest is plenteous. The fields are white. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Go. Jesus said, go. And lo, I'll be with you. We want the, we want the low. We want them to be with us, but we don't want to go. Why should be with, Jesus be with us when we go to the Walmart? We never pass out a track. We never tell nobody Jesus love them. We never pray for nobody, witness for nobody. Go out there. Leave it all on the field. And your rest when you die. For there remaineth a rest for the people of God. And that, my brothers and sisters, in Christ, is how then, that's how we should work. Let us pray. Father, we have read, searched, and studied, and labored. And you have preached this word to me first. It's a two-edged sword. Help us to be about your business. God, we forgive you for any laziness, certainly any wickedness, getting it twisted that we're God and you're not. Bless us to go from being a milk Christian, a milk church, a mashed potato Christian, a mashed potato church, to a meat Christian, to a meat church, so we can meet the sinners where they are and do gain the sinner and groom the saint and grow the kingdom for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.